Workplace conflict. It's a phrase that strikes fear into the heart of most business owners. But how sweet would it be if you could transform that energy into positive results? My next guest says you can. She's Barbara Mitchell, human resource expert and author of the Essential Workplace Conflict Handbook. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Barbara Mitchell helps organizations develop a highly productive workforce by putting practices in place to ensure they have the best HR function possible so that they can hire, engage, develop, and retain the best talent available. Barbara is the managing partner of the Mitchell Group, as well as an author, speaker, business coach, and consultant. She spent much of her human resources career in senior leadership positions with large organizations like Marriott International and Human Genome Sciences. But she also has some hands-on small business experience. In 1998, she co-founded the Millennium Group International, LLC, in the business of organizational development, leadership development, and human resources consulting. And 10 years later, she successfully sold it. Barbara has served in multiple leadership positions for SHRM, that's the Society for Human Resource Management. She's also on the board of directors for Habitat for Humanity in Northern Virginia and other organizations. She's a frequent conference speaker on employee management topics, plus a prolific author. She blogs for the American Society of Association Executives, writes a monthly column for Columbia Southern University, has contributed to three books and co-authored three others, the most recent being The Essential Workplace Conflict Handbook. I'm jazzed to have her on the show today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Barbara. Thank you, Hannah. Delighted to be here. Well, it's super. It's super to have you here because, you know, workplace conflict is one of those simmering issues. It's been around forever. There's friction between coworkers, between employees and supervisors, and sometimes those sparks turn into flames and raging fires. All you have to do is look at the number of well-fed employment lawyers to appreciate what a big sinkhole this area can be uh, for businesses of all sizes and why it's important to manage conflict effectively while it's still small. But before we talk about fixing the problem, let's talk a little bit about your view on the causes of the problem. In your experience, what's the most common source of workplace conflict? Well, I, I can't narrow it down to one. Can I talk about two for the moment? Oh, sure. Please do. Okay. I think there are two major causes, one of them being the huge amount of change that happens in organizations. That seems to create massive uh, conflicts when organizations are moving quickly, changing, and perhaps not explaining why they're, they're making changes. And the other reason is just because people are people and we have different ways of approaching life and those interpersonal conflicts just flare up no matter what an organization does. So I think those are the, the two main, the ch- huge amount of change and then just uh, people in general and how we see life differently. 
So in terms of change, I mean, granted, organizations are always going, taking new initiatives and so forth. What would be a better way to handle change? Letting people know what's coming. Uh, to me, and having worked in many organizations, change doesn't usually just happen to happen. It's, m- many times it's planned. For example, the kinds of changes that I'm thinking about are the massive systemic changes, like moving to a new building or changing the way the, uh, the floor is configured. You know, lots of organizations now are going to open concepts without offices. This is creating huge amounts of change if you just spring it on people. But if you let them know what's coming and let them kind of work through it and be part of it, then the change isn't quite that difficult and it doesn't create the massive amounts of conflict that can happen if suddenly you walk in the the next day and your manager who you loved is not there anymore and you don't know what to do, you don't know what's expected of you. Those are the kind of changes that that I think create massive uh, employee relations issues and conflict. Well, understood, because people view it as a loss. I mean, wait a minute. I had walls, and I had a door, and now everything is in plain view. People feel naked. Yes, absolutely. Loss of privacy. And I'm hearing from a lot of folks that this is pretty generational, too. And there's another uh, thing that I think we're dealing with that's so unusual in the workforce. I'm sure you and your, your listeners are well aware that we now potentially have five different generations in the workplace at the same time, which has never happened before. And there's another source of potential conflict. I understand that that the millennials, for example, have no trouble at all having the open concept, but perhaps someone who's a baby mover or a traditionalist has a little more problem because they've always had an office. And as you said, they had it yesterday, but today it's gone. And whoa, can that create some issues? Definitely. Well, you know, let's talk a little bit more about these five generations in the workforce. How is this diversity, and not just age diversity in the workforce, but there's all kinds of other ethnic diversity and just diversity as a whole being promoted as a positive dynamic in the workforce. And it certainly can be. I'm not suggesting it's not, but it does have the possibility of creating conflict. So what is the best way to integrate, to make this a smooth dynamic and Which kind of tugging and pulling do you see causing the most issues? I think the most issues come from people just not understanding each other. And my my way of approaching this is to let people get to know each other. I love the idea of putting multi-generational or multi, whatever your your situation is, having uh, task forces or teams where you've got a variety of people working together. I I don't mean to sound uh, Pollyanna-ish here, but I'll say it. When people get to know each other as individuals, issues around diversity and generations tend to disappear because you're you're dealing with a person, a person that you know. So getting people to work together and to understand each other, hear each other's stories. How how fun would it be to do a brown bag where your employees tell uh, about where they where their roots are from and or something and, and I know this probably sounds too simplistic, but why not have a potluck where people bring things from their country and then tell the story of, of why that, that dish is especially uh, important to them? And again, people get to know each other, and I think the conflicts diminish just a little bit. They're always going to be there, but just a little bit helps. 
Absolutely. More understanding leads to more tolerance. And listening to each other. Uh, You probably noticed, you've seen our book, we've devoted a whole chapter on listening. And I think that's one of the things that is so misunderstood and misused in our world. We spend so much time learning how to communicate through writing and through speaking, but we don't spend enough time learning how to listen and listen carefully and listen with intent. And I think that can make a huge difference when, when getting to know each other and also then when dealing with conflict. Now, that's a really good point about listening, because it seems like that is an even shorter supply today in this saturated electronic media world that we live in, where you're being bombarded by not just emails, but all the social media, and taking the time to listen and developing better listening skills. How do you deal with that in your consulting work, Barbara? Well, I try to convince clients that having a module when they're doing communication training, uh, that listening is it should be as important as how to make a good PowerPoint presentation. Uh, and, and sometimes it works. Sometimes people understand that listening is important. But it's important not just in our work lives. Think about how if we're better listeners at home and in anywhere where we are uh, in the marketplace, if we're listening better, we can make better decisions, we can think more clearly. And you're so right, social media, we're just bombarded with sound bites, and we don't really hear what, what the background is. And I, w- I wish I had a better solution, but I just think we need to even talk about listening as how important it is and, and how people can improve their listening skills with some very simple exercises and, and just being aware of how they listen. Well, is there one listening tip that you could leave our our uh, listeners with today? Hopefully, they are listening. <laughs> but I mean, to be able to improve and be more self aware, just sort of like one little tip that, well, yeah, try this the next time. Try when you're listening to someone, really listen to them and not be thinking about what what you're going to say when they stop talking. If you do that, if you just get listen to them all the way through what what they're saying and then think about what, what you're going to say, I think you'll be a better listener. Most of us, when, when we're listening, can't wait for our turn to talk. And I think that's what breaks down in the listening process. So don't be thinking about what you're going to say. Really listen to what they're saying, and then you can more clearly and, and really more intelligently respond to what they have said. Good one. Now, one thing I noticed in your book, The Essential Workplace Conflict Handbook, is I think you talk about different types of conflict. Could you explain that a little bit more? Sure. I think there are conflicts that, first of all, uh, not all conflict is bad. And that's one of the things we hope comes through in in our book, is that conflict can be extremely positive. It it can create uh, absolute uh, innovation comes from conflict many times when people see things differently and are able to have a good discussion about how they see things differently. So conflict, first of all, should not always be thought of as a negative. And I know that's a hard concept for people to get their minds around because most of us think that's something to be avoided. But if if you're dealing with conflict and letting it spark innovation, it can be very, very productive for organizations. Other kinds of conflict, I think there are conflict created by not having good expectations. 
in the workplace when people don't know what's expected of them. And so they go off and start doing what they think is what they should be doing. And then all of a sudden they're hit with the fact that they're not performing the way the manager wanted them to. And it's not the employee's fault particularly. It's the manager has not set expectations. And there's other ways that conflict comes into to play. And one of the things that we talk about in our book is trying to make sure pe- conflicts do not spill over into other things that can be very, very dif- difficult in organizations. Sometimes bullying is involved, sometimes potentially uh, uh, sexual harassment or any other kind of harassment can, can come from a conflict situation. So we want to make sure that we're real clear about how those things can be avoided in the workplace. One thing that I've heard in the workplace, and you probably have as well, is when two or more employees are having some issues, and I say that with capital letters, and yes. you know they're, they're just not making any progress. There's a standoff. And so they go to their supervisor. And, you know, that could be mid-level, and it could even be very senior C-suite for that matter. It doesn't really matter where they are on the organization chart for this dynamic to happen. But then, you know, that supervisor or CEO even says, well, you go work it out. What do you think of that advice? Well, I think it's, it can be very good advice because just like when, when, when you're raising your children, you want them to be able to solve their own problems and not bring them always to, to mom and dad. It's the same thing in the workplace. You want your employees to have the skills to resolve their own differences, but they have to have those skills. And so I think that's important that the organization provides some sort of development for people and how, how to deal with a conflict. The other thing is so many managers make the mistake of when the two employees come with their problem and saying, here, you, you handle it for me, they take it. They t- the manager takes the problem and tries to resolve it. And I don't think in many cases that's the right thing to do. I think it is a good idea for your employees to, to try and work it out themselves. And then if they can't, then certainly bring somebody in. Maybe it's the HR person if you have one to uh, help them resolve the differences, or sometimes the manager can do that. But the manager should not just say, okay, I'm going to decide which one of you is right or wrong, because then the employees haven't learned anything, and also probably more, more conflict will come from that than anything else. But it's important that the issue get resolved, though, correct? Oh, it has to be resolved, because it's not going to go away. It is. I've seen so many times in organizations where people assume that, well, uh, you know, tomorrow it's going to be better, or of course they'll be able to get along. And many, many times, and we really haven't talked about this yet, but many, many of the issues that create conflict in the workplace are purely style and interpersonal differences. Someone who likes to have their earbuds in while they're working in a cubicle and uh, the person who works across from them can still hear the music, uh, and they ask the person nicely to turn it down. The person doesn't, and it escalates. Or I've had situations where uh, someone wears perfume that is too uh, too much perfume or too much aftershave, and it makes a problem in the workplace. And these are these are issues that are purely personal issues, but they can escalate into serious issues within the organization if they're not dealt with. And those, the kind that I've mentioned here, if the person has asked nicely, would you please turn down your uh, music, 
and the person doesn't do it, then I think somebody else has to get involved, either the manager or someone else. But these interpersonal issues can really build up into to problems. How do you recommend a manager or supervisor keep their finger on the pulse of what's going on in their department, their division, or you know, subsidiary for that matter? Sometimes people have very large spans of control. And we're also dealing with a lot of uh, workers who are not physically present with uh, telecommuting and teleworking and all the other things that, that we have now in the workplace where we're not all together, which right. I think can create some problems too. Uh, but if, if you're in the same location or if you're uh, just physically located close by, I love just the idea of it's going back a long way in, in, in business uh, knowledge, but just the idea of managers walking around actually just being present and being seen. I think you can learn a great deal. I have a client in a small company that the CEO every morning walks through the organization and speaks to everybody, and it's amazing what she learns. Uh, just a quick conversation, can she can tell the pulse of what's going on in, in the organization. Of course, that's very unusual that you have one place that, that everybody is together, but we certainly have all kinds of other ways to keep in touch to just be aware of, of where people are. And also a good manager knows his or her employees, knows enough about them that, that they can kind of hopefully uh, be have the intuition to see if someone's uh, not quite the same as they were last week or having some sort of an issue or someone who's who doesn't want to sit next to so-and-so at a meeting. Maybe you can watch some body language or eye contact. But managers have to be aware, and they have to be—they have to be present themselves. And I think that's one of the issues that we're we're really grappling with in today's flat organizations. Because many managers are not just managers; they have line responsibilities as well. And so uh, then sometimes conflicts can move quickly through the organization, and the manager is so busy that uh, she's not paying attention, uh, and that that can that can backfire for sure. Yes, definitely, because if they're playing Captain Clueless, the, the fires can rage around them, and then something will blow up somewhere. It's just a matter of, of where, and and I've seen situations where the supervisor has been sort of protected by the employees that they ignore simply because of the employee's professionalism, but after a while, that emotional bank account is way, way overdrawn, and something goes kablooey. You're absolutely right, and I, I love that analogy of the, the, the bank, emotional bank account because that is so true in organizations. And you write about people trying to protect their managers sometimes, and I don't think that usually works long-term. Short-term maybe, but uh, something will explode. It's just the nature of the work that, we're, that we do. I have always said that when there's conflict in the workplace, it's because People care. When they stop caring is when somebody should get upset. So in a way, conflict, as you pointed out, is is good. And I just like to get some of your suggestions about how that energy can be harnessed and transformed into a positive force. Because you talked about innovation earlier. And that's why I mean I think where people are coming together to collaborate. And there's a certain element of respect because you've got different areas of expertise represented around the table, and they're there to share their knowledge in order to solve a problem. So there's a, a joint purpose. 
But when you have this kind of, I'll call it bickering between, you know, two employees, oh, that music is too loud, or oh my God, that cologne is giving me a headache. How do you transform that? I think the best way to do it is by going back to the mission of the organization, whether you're a nonprofit, a, a government agency, whatever your, your, your work is, hopefully you have a strong mission, be it customer service, whatever it is that you, you want to be the best at. Again, I, I think when you talk about your mission often, I, you mentioned that I'm on the, the board of Habitat in Northern Virginia. One of the things that I saw very early on on the board, we had a leadership change and a new board president came in and changed the whole tone of the organization by starting every board meeting with pictures of families that we had helped with getting a house that wouldn't have had a house otherwise. And just maybe it was three or four minutes uh, before a board meeting started that we could really focus on what our mission was and what why the work we were doing was important. Now, I know that's it's an emotional tie when you're when you're building houses for people but every organization should have a mission and when you really reinforce that with your employees and i'm not opposed to saying you know uh, you two people who are arguing over how loud the music is can we just come back to what it is that we're here to do today and remind them of the work that they do and how their work contributes to the overall mission of the organization and I think that's what people want these days. If you look at the, the research that Gallup has done on what's important to people at work, one of the most important things is to, does, does my work matter? And if we can let people know that their work really matters and what they do really makes a difference, then maybe some of these interpersonal conflicts can subside just a little bit. Good advice. Good advice. In your experience with working with different organizations, whether they're large, small, profit, nonprofit, where do you see managers most often tripping up in managing conflict in the workplace? I think there are a couple of ways that I would talk about. One of them is jumping in too quickly to take over the conflict and try to resolve it without uh, letting the employees do it themselves. I think that can be a real issue. We, we talk about it in our book. The, the, the chapter is whose problem is it or whose fight is it or whose issue is it. And if you really start thinking the issue through and see where if the manager comes in too soon, the employees don't learn how to resolve conflict themselves. So I think that's one area where managers trip up. The other is not setting clear expectations. And I think so much conflict comes from people just not knowing what it is that they're supposed to do, and being measured on on what those uh, what what their expectations are. If you set clear expectations and you manage people against those expectations, I think people really will be very productive because they'll be very clear about what their role is. They'll jump right in and they'll get it done, and they may be even excited about the fact that they're they're doing something that has made a difference within the organization. So if managers kind of don't take over and let take over the employees' responsibilities and set clear expectations, I think that can make a big difference, and they won't trip up. Or maybe not as often. Can we just say that? <laughs> Fair enough, because people are people, yeah. and we all have our ups and downs, and, you know, it things happen. 
things happen. Definitely. They do, for sure. Yeah, we want to be able to work through them. And I couldn't agree with you more about the managing expectations because uh, that's the basis of a lawsuit very often. You know, people think something is unfair, and then they try and find a legal theory to match it, and they're off to the races. So That's right. Yeah, unfortunately. So I'm curious about this last book that you uh, co-authored, The Essential Workplace Conflict Handbook. After all the years in the human resource space, what prompted you to finally write a book like this? Well, actually, two things, Hannah. Uh, one of them was, and, and this is probably the paramount one, uh, the publisher that I've been working with thought it was a great topic and asked us if we write this book. So they were seeing in their research that, that this was an area that obviously everybody's got conflict, whether they will acknowledge it or not. And they felt that there was a need for a book like this, especially the, the book that we, we hope we wrote. And it's not a serious uh, tome on, on conflict. It is done through a series of, of stories. But also, just from my own perspective, I have seen this derail organizations. I've seen organizations get off track because of the kind of conflicts that they didn't know how to handle. And so it was, I wouldn't say this was an easy book to write because writing about conflict is never easy. But we certainly had a lot of examples that we could use to highlight how organizations can manage conflict successfully. And also, we, we think that many of the things we talk about in this book are applicable just to conflict in general, whether it be at, you know, at home or uh, when you're dealing with your kids' sports teams or whatever it is, because there's conflict all over the place. There most certainly is. And uh, I'm, I'm very glad that you wrote this book. We're certainly going to have a link to it on our episode page so that people can go check it out. You know, the thing is, we talked before about how when a supervisor is, needs to kind of break it up between two employees, you know, not to jump in too soon or then to, to get some help. You know, certainly in large organizations, there's a human resource department. You know, there's somebody with some expertise and experience in this area to help them. But what if you've got a smaller business and you don't have an in-house HR department? What other choices do you have? I would look to perhaps another manager that you respect who you could trust to maybe help come in and, and uh, maybe sit in on the discussion and, and point it in the right direction. You know, everybody has a, a style of, of how they deal with conflict. and If you've got someone in your organization that is really good at coming up with compromises and really good at seeing both sides of issues, uh, maybe you just ask that person for a personal favor to help you, and then you help them the next time. But I really do some, think sometimes having someone who's not in the middle of the conflict uh, to help people see that there are usually both sides, that that, that person could, could be helpful. If there's no one like that in your organization, I would think you'd want to maybe bring somebody in from the outside for uh, a mediation session of some sort, and there's you know, ways to find people like that. But most conflicts, I think managers should be able to resolve themselves if if they really uh, sit down and if they listen carefully and if they don't go in with predisposed ideas as to, you know, which of their employees they like better or one of those kinds of things that could really trip you up. Well, I think you've just put your finger on a really important hot button about 
sort of the preconceived notions people could walk into a, uh, a meeting with and assumptions that they make even before they've heard the facts. So really being able to step back and, and be independent is going to be a really, really critical factor. It is, and that's really why having a, a disinterested third party can make a difference because that person probably doesn't know the uh, background of, of the people or haven't worked with them uh, throughout the years or whatever, and that can make a difference. But you raise a good point that many organizations are small and do not have that kind of resource. But again, I would suggest finding someone who you trust who could come in and help. Definitely, because you don't want these things to fester. Otherwise, it really becomes part of your business culture. And if it's a toxic one, that's not a good one. It's not a good thing. I've really enjoyed our conversation here, Barb, and, and I think we're getting to the end here. And I just wonder if you had any parting thoughts for our listeners. I would suggest that people uh, really think about how, what, how their conflict style is. Are they someone who likes to confront? Are they someone who likes to see hear both sides? Kind of think through... What, how you approach conflict, and if you understand your own conflict style and then maybe the people that you work with, that can make a difference in, in how you as a manager or you in, as an employee deals with conflict. And always, when you know yourself a little bit better, I think it can make a difference in how, how you work within your own workplace and resolve conflict. So that would be my, my parting advice. Get to know your own conflict style and see how you maybe you could make a change in that to be a little more accommodating or a little bit more compromising. That's terrific. As it would seem that improving your own communication ability would really enhance your own leadership brand and would just be beneficial, not just for the immediate conflict, but for your own personal growth and development. So true. And don't forget to work on your listening skills. That's a key to being a good, good leader, I believe. Super. I've just loved all these tips and insights that you've been able to provide. And I encourage folks to check out the Workplace Conflict Handbook. Actually, that's the Essential Workplace Conflict Handbook. It's a great reference guide to keep you on track after the sauce hits the fan and you're so upset that you forget everything we've just talked about this half hour. (laughs) Get one for yourself and every manager in your company. Right, Barbara? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Hannah. I've enjoyed this Conversation. I almost said this conflict. This conflict. <laughs> Not the word I was going to really use. No, that's that's fine. Thanks so much for sharing this part of your day with us, Barbara. I appreciate your time and love your tips. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO, LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. 
Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.